74 Tango Whiskey, 2.6 for 3,000, uh, 140 on Yeah, I find it confusing that that people are so obsessed with these roster players, and you know we complain about it a lot. But I just don't understand where the loyalty for these players stems from. Like these guys that are on this roster, that have been on this roster for the past eight to ten years, like these aren't you know the Bobby Clarks of the Flyers and the, you know, the Eric Lindrosses of the Flyers, like what is the purpose of having like this level of loyalty to these guys? Like who cares? Like they're just dudes. I mean, what does it matter to these Lawton people? But, and Konechny and Sanheim all and of Provorov them. and all these fucking Michael guys. Raffle, yeah. uh, the, the Raffles, the Reeds, <laughs> the Belmars, the, I mean, high end coots. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck me. The goddamn. <laughs> Oh, but this looks like Dan's going to explode because I was going to get ready to explode too because that's been simmering like the last couple of days here. Yeah. This fucking Sean Couturier argument. Well, Daniel, once upon a time, he was really good. And my analytics said he was really good, so he must have been good. Okay. Elite. 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 Okay, here's the thing. First of all, like 2017, Sean Couturier was good. Okay, uh, great. Who fucking cares what this guy did all these years ago? It's 2023 now. He's missed 22 months with two separate back surgeries. He'll turn 31 in December, and he's still at signed for seven years at 7.7 million cap hit. I don't give a shit. This guy could have been goddamn Wayne Gretzky in his fucking absolute peak in 2017 for all I care. What the fuck is he going to look like for the next seven years? What a goddamn... I can't even believe this argument happened what it did. I, 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 listen, Sean Couturier was always a good defensive forward. He made his impression when he joined the league in 2012 and he shut down fucking Malkin and Crosby in the playoffs, right? He was very good this whole time. He peaked in 2017. He coasted on the reputation for a few more years until he got hurt. Won a Selkie in 2020. I don't think it was deserved. I think he should have won it in 17-18 and that was the end of that. But no, he didn't. Got it as a fucking pity party. Because he's as good as fucking Patrice Bergeron, by the way. Remember that bullshit. But, like, this guy, man, this was never an elite-level player. Like, the offensive production was never there. He rode Claude Giroux's coattails, who was putting up fucking 100-point seasons. He was never a fun, elite two-way guy. Yes, he was a very good shutdown center. I'll admit to that all day long. He was awesome. But elite? Elite player? He was uh, even Patrice Bergeron. We're sticking just with the two way forwards. He was never that. He was never fucking Pavel Dadzuk. This guy never had a fucking ounce of creativity to his offensive game. He coasted with fucking Drew all those years. Oh my god, this fucking conversation is just so stupid. From one arrogant, petulant piece of fucking shit that has to be holier than thou bullshit attitude. Fuck. It's the. It's. I mean, you're totally right, Dan. I mean, you're completely right on with that assessment on it, and it is. I hot think. Here. God damn it. <laughs> and 
I think one of the problems is is that a lot of people like to use this word elite and they just yeah. throw it around like it's candy. And and to me, I don't see how you can even use that word, ascribe that label on someone if they don't have offensive creativity and abilities, multiple abilities in the offensive zone in the NHL today. You have to be able to basically do it all. That's what the word elite means. It is reserved for the tippy top tier, the handful, the Mount Rushmore type of players. And for some reason, that word has now permeated down through various categories and subcategories and secondary subcategories. And it pretty much doesn't even have any meaning now because people want to say, oh, well, he was elite at doing X. It's like, no, like, you know what? Like. I'm elite at taking dumps every morning at 930 in the morning, but nobody uses that word to describe me. I mean, for fuck's sake, it is so stupid. Just it needs to stop. And it's just the nomenclature is just off on it. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of disconnect here. Again, as Dan pointed out, he was a very good player for a limited period of time, a useful player. As far as I'm concerned, he would have been a very good complimentary player uh, for a contending team. Sure. But he... But he is not your stud 1C, your Nathan McKinnon, McDavid, your Sidney Crosby. He is not on that level. Those are elite players because they do it all. They do everything, everything well. You're not focusing on one thing. Oh, this guy's elite because he he skates on the blue line on one leg faster than somebody. It's like, why would you use the word elite to describe that? It's just confusing what this player can and can't do. And I think that's I think that's one of the reasons why these arguments come up. I think there's a lot of misconceptions with this whole argument, and that's why I think that this entire discussion with Sean Couturier being high-end is absolutely fucking stupid. It's just dumb. So the worst period in franchise history, and you're going to cherry-pick this one guy and say that he's high-end. Listen. He was a good player. Nobody's saying he's a bad player. But you're not going to call a guy high-end. And, Mike, to your point, the nomenclature, the names, words matter. Like, when you call everybody elite, then the word elite doesn't mean anything. If if Sean Couturier – listen, a very good two-way center. A very good – you know what? You want to even say high-end? A high-end 200-foot player offensively i wouldn't use the word high end Hell to no. describe anything about him defensively sure overall as a complete player okay fine but when you use the word high end i don't go to like Guy carbono or yari letnin i go to like <laughs> patrice bergeron anze kopitar kind of guys and Sean Couturier for me isn't that was he a good player yes but as Mikey O&B tweeted earlier today, that's history. I really don't care about he won the Selkie, that he had two seventy, you know, five seventy-six point seasons. I really don't care about that. My focus is this guy's coming back from back issues, back surgeries, and he's been off for almost two years. 
I'm worried about how effective this guy is going to be going forward. Yeah. For the, next the past doesn't years. matter with this guy anymore. It is about what the fuck version of this guy are you getting for the next seven years? Can he even make that, it through one year before shit gets fucked up? That's my concern. Yep. <laughs> like, listen, he's a good player. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not trying to take a dump on Sean Couturier. But the past doesn't matter. It's about what you do going forward. Yep. And when people bitch and they go, oh, there's people out there that they hate the Sean Couturier contract. Yeah. Because just like a hooker or a, a high-end escort, not a low-end escort. <laughs> is there such a thing as a low-end escort? Oh, I'm sure Anyways, there is, man. Well, okay, whatever. <laughs> you don't pay for the service. You pay them to leave. Because you're disgusted with yourself afterwards. And you just say, you know what? What the fuck did what the fuck just happened? It's over. I don't know what I was thinking. Here, just go. Get out of here. <laughs> like, that's it. It's done. What he did, he did. Did it justify a eight-year contract at 775? When he had hard miles on his body? When you knew... You absolutely knew going forward. And by the way, take a look at that Kevin Hayes contract. Oh, it's a Kevin Hayes is underpaid. He's doing great. He's an awesome player. How's that contract look right now? With three years left. And it's only 7.1. What's Sean Couturier's contract going to look like five years from now? Five years? Fuck, what's it gonna look like in two years from now? I I I know. I'm I'm being really nice and I'm saying five years from now when there's three years left. What happens when he makes it five games into the year, get cross checked and fucks up in the back and he's forced into retirement and his contract's on LTIR for the next goddamn eight years? Like, I hope that he comes back and he does really well. But I have questions. And it's 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 a concern. That, that's all I'm saying. And to, to go back and do this revisiting of a terrible period in Flyers history and call a guy high-end. Do Islanders fans go back to their shitty fucking decade and a half, two decades, and go, oh, Ziggy Palfi was fucking elite. Alexei Yashin. <laughs> oh. Alexei Yashin was fucking incredible. Do they care? No. The only thing you remember from that is they had Captain Highliner on their fucking jersey, and it was an embarrassment. That's what you remember. Do the Blackhawks sit there and go, oh, Eric Daze was an elite goal scorer. <laughs> oh, Kyle yeah, Calder. Yeah. You know, really? Pathetic. Come on, guys. We're better than this. Sean Couturier was a, is a good player, was a good player. I'm more concerned about, listen, what's this guy going to look like here? We got him for seven more years. I really hope that he can come back and be a difference maker. But let's let's stop throwing these words high end. Danny Breer, the entire time since he's gotten this job, has been downplaying expectations. We're not going to make the playoffs. We're rebuilding. Temper your expectations. Lower your standards. It's going to be a, a rough slog here. But we're building up Sean Couturier. When he's coming back after almost two years off, there should be no expectations for this guy. None. Let's just let him come back and do his thing 
see if he makes it into the opening lineup before fucking something up before we uh... yes <laughs> i don't i don't want people thinking that this guy's gonna score 80 points pencil him in front of their selkie yeah, yeah. my only thing my only thing moving forward with couturier the only thing i'm looking forward to is the moment that danny briere attempts to have the conversation for him to wave the no movement i'm looking clause. forward to 2030 when it's that's all i want the books yeah, yeah. or that or that one of two things, whether 2030, 2030 fuck <laughs> off, seven years or before that to have the conversation. I am a little bit worried about Danny playing hardball with a guy like Couturier because, I mean, Coots like lived with him yeah, when he was besties. coming up and stuff. And, you know, he's like almost like a second son to him. And he's like, oh, do I want to treat him like a that? A son like, that isn't a piece of shit. <laughs> true, true, exactly. Um, but... I do have a little worry there that that Danny is going to carve out an exception for Couturier and and treat him differently than he would another player in that position uh, where the team should certainly be you know doing everything they can to try to move on from him. Granted, he's going to have to play a little bit of time for that conversation to really permeate and to take place. But I do worry about him, you know. If things get a little bit heated, if if he's going to be able to kind of take the side of the team here and say, no, I need to look out for the best interest of the team and not the best interest of, interest of Sean Couturier. It's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about this uh, before we sat down to record. This may be our last time we get together before uh, before the offseason happens. It's our last time to talk about this. And pulling on the heartstrings of Danny Briere is one James Van Riemsdyk. Ooh, be the- still my beating heart. Best <laughs> besties who played together 15 years ago on the same team. You know, was, there's always the thought that Chuck Fletcher is an idiot and going to resign this guy because he's an idiot. But between the two, Breer may have more connection to JVR than Chuck Fletcher does. This is our last chance to hedge our bets on this one. Do we think JVR resigns with the Flyers? That's a good question. I still think no, but there's that part of me yeah. that I'm not. I don't sleep peacefully anymore, and I won't until this guy <laughs> dries. You know, the ink dries in a contract with a different fucking team. Because sleep with one eye open. <laughs> vet minimum and a. He's a leader. We need him back, and he signs us some fucking vet minimum for a year or two. Just I could see it. I could still just as easily see that as anything else, especially if they're just pissing away the next few seasons with uh, no interest in winning. Who fucking gives a shit if JVR? Uh, you would hope. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. It's a good point, Dan. I think that the chances of that happening are drastically reduced given Fletcher's out of the equation. Um, you do bring up a good point about Danny having um, a personal relationship with JVR as a former teammate. Um, that said, I mean... God, when I saw Breer's press conference this afternoon, I mean, he just like like a like a stone faced killer. I mean, he was all about rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. And I mean, you would have to think that that type of move, regardless of the relationship, is not in his DNA right now. But but in terms of of a bet, I mean, I would say I don't know, maybe like a ten percent chance he comes back. That's about what I would put it at, but I don't know, man. That's too high. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you do have to have some veterans, though, guys. And, I mean, look at the vets on this team that that are teaching the kids. Travis Sanheim and Kevin Hayes, oh, boy. That's horrible, horrible. I mean, and, and by the way, you know, Mike, you just said that Danny had the look of a killer. 
which is what a GM <laughs> needs. Mm-hmm. The ultimate revenge fuck. He signs JVR for a one-year deal, trades him at the trade deadline to say, fuck you, Chuck Fletcher. I can do this. I traded oh, JVR. So God. You couldn't do, you motherfucker, Chuck Fletcher. Ugh. You suck. That'd be great. Keep scratching those scratch tickets, Chuck. That's what you're doing right now. If he brings if he brings JVR back, that's going to erase a lot of credibility that seems to be building right now. Um, I mean, that will certainly I will we will rip that. I mean, it would yeah, be I will disgusting. not be a happy camper. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it'd be disgusting, and it would <laughs> it would it would sound alarm bells for sure about his capacity to be a general manager of this team right now. Absolutely, no question about it. Do you think he has to clear a JVR move with Jonesy? Probably. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and see, that could be a good thing, though, because for as inexperienced as Keith Jones is, and I brought this up a, f- uh, a few weeks ago on a show, is that um, his relationship with Angelo Cataldi, I think, is so important in this because Angelo was the ultimate no bullshit. He was, you know, sensationalist on the morning radio and stuff, but he was the ultimate no bullshit. I'm going to attack you mercilessly. Uh, type of sports sports commentator and Jonesy learned from him for for almost 20 years in the studio uh, doing morning shows with him and I think that that mentality has been baked into Keith Jones in fact Angelo was the first person that Keith Jones called after he got the job with the Flyers um, which shows you how close the relationship really is and my hope is that if there's any bullshit that goes on like that that Keith Jones will be a backstop and say, this is fucking ridiculous. There's no way in hell this is going to happen. And he slams the door on stuff like that, even though it's supposed to be Danny's team, Danny has final say that sort of stuff. But I have to hope that a guy like Jones is going to be able to more than anything. Jones, he's called every fucking JVR game for the last few years and saw how useless this guy is. And that's the other side of it, of course. Yeah, is that he's 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 actually watched all of it, so he's not coming in from the outside. He knows how how senseless something like that would be. Oh God, <sighs> scares the wa- shit out of me. <laughs> Have you guys been watching the Stanley Cup Final? Is it not still on TNT? Yeah. So mm-hmm. Jonesy's. I I saw. I'm watching the CBC slash Sportsnet feed. And sometimes they show, and you got Keith Jones is there in between the, the penalty boxes kind of thing. Isn't it weird? Yes. That the president of the Philadelphia Flyers is like in between the penalty boxes doing like stuff on TV. It's kind of weird. I, I agree odd. with you. Mm. Like, I know that he made a comment um, during one of the press conferences about. Well, you know, I took this contingent upon my ability to finish out, you know, the season as commentator. And I kind of understood that. But now we're so far past the announcement that it's just kind of ridiculous that he's still doing that job. It's weird. I agree with you. It's a little bit unsettling. It's it's like like we just made a huge trade and it's like our president of hockey ops is going to be calling game three of the still <laughs> yeah. on, on the benches between yeah. the benches like and it's and, and it's like that argument of well he's scoping out what these teams have 
and he's going to try to get those pieces in place here. And it's like, <laughs> I don't believe that shit. For now, a now, yeah. It's it's almost like I'd I'd want to see like remember how everybody was talking about the president of hockey ops job was going to be a marketing slash branding kind of exercise. <laughs> it would almost be it would almost be like well uh, hey it's Brian Boucher uh, up here working at TNT for the Stanley Cup Finals game three of the Stanley Cup Finals and hang on let's go down to Jonesy between the glass Jonesy <laughs> hey Boucher uh, well. Power play is really working here for the Vegas Golden Knights. And by the way, speaking of power play, fans, don't forget to buy your Santa sacks <laughs> next year. It's never too early. PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. Go and check the. Imagine he does like these shameless plugs and he's just plugging Philadelphia Flyers stuff. That would be so great. That would be so great. <laughs> One other thing we could uh, touch upon, and I guess we're not going to have as much vigor with it as we would have. Uh couple days ago, but Kyle Dubas ended up in Pittsburgh. President of Hockey Ops of the Penguins, and it sounds yeah. like they have interest in Shiro as GM, which is exactly what I fucking wanted the Flyers to do. Ooh, that one still... I mean, now we're all, you know, happy flowers here with Danny Breyer with this fucking, you know, Provorov move fresh in our minds, but man! I still want to Dubas. Hmm. So... So is the rumor that Shero is going to come in under Dubas as a GM? That's what it sounded like. Huh. I mean, I guess I could see that. This is one of the names. I don't know if he ends up getting the job or not, but that sounded I like. Mean, I mean, it, the Shiro wanted a GM role was the original the rumor thing. when talking here. So he would get his GM role and, and Dubas going to handle the, the president role. But they're in a, such a weird situation there because there's a good chance that team's not winning another cup again. Like they, they're on the way down and they're fucking empty in the prospect pool. You got nothing. Like it's such a weird, like no win kind of situation they put themselves in. But you know, I don't, uh, I don't know, but man, that's, that was the front office. I really wanted was Dubas and Shiro and fucking Pittsburgh is going to get them. It's bastards. Yeah. I was, I was, I was a little shocked that, and I, I guess there was a slight holdup on that, deal uh because everyone thought he was going to be the gm and then you got the president role which i guess is going to be distinguished uh from the gm role now i still don't know if there's going to be a hierarchy there or to what extent the president is going to have input on stuff because obviously with the flyers their setup is a little different where the president's not supposed to have that final decision making power on the roster and the gm kind of operates in a vacuum and bounces ideas off the president. There's some sort of separation there, but in Pittsburgh, I'm not sure if the relationship will be that Dubas is actually doing everything. And the GM is more so just, you know, making the final phone calls and, you know, more administrative or something less than the president, but the president's actually the one doing the GM role. Uh, that's what I don't know what that structure is going to be like because they're going to fill in it with somebody. If it's a Ray Shero, he's not going to be taking orders from Kyle Dubas. That's for sure. The interesting thing for me is it wasn't for a GM job in Pittsburgh that he got mm -hmm. the president of hockey ops. And yeah. from everything that I've read until they hire a new GM, which probably isn't going to be before the draft. Kyle Dubas is in charge. He is acting mm -hmm. as general manager right now. So he's going to enter the draft and he's going to be doing all the stuff that a GM would be doing until he hires his person. 
the interesting thing was the way that it shook down in Toronto. And there's all kinds of rumors that him and Shanahan were disagreeing about, you know, which players should stay, which ones should go. Uh, Probably, you know, the fate of Sheldon Keefe was probably contentious there. And the idea that the board, the ownership was basically calling the shots and saying, you know what? No, we're telling you what to do. And that's what makes it interesting for me is he took a job in Pittsburgh with the Fenway group. And then he's the president. He's going to be dealing with those owners, but he wanted full control. He wants to say in how he builds everything and how he's going to do things. And he's going to get that in Pittsburgh. You're right, Dan. It's not ideal because they're definitely on the way down. They ain't winning another cup. Probably not. I don't care what they do, but if there's anybody that can maximize their ability to try to compete, it would be him. If there's anybody to try to walk a line between competing and rebuilding and retooling for the future, it would be him. Yeah. You know, like that he's whatever his faults. And I know he didn't win in Toronto. He's really creative. You know, like he's the guy that's, you know, trading guys on LTIR and doing all these things and maximizing all these moves. And people are like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. That's kind of what Pittsburgh needed. And in all honesty, that's kind of what the Flyers needed, too. I'm really happy with Jonesy. I think he's good president hockey ops. I just find it weird that he's calling games on TNT during the Stanley Cup final. And meanwhile, a guy like Kyle Dubas is like, Got got his big boy pants on and he's like going to work. All right, man. let's let's start figuring shit out. Let's start moving things. I think that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see what happens with him. I mean, I I don't know if they're gonna get a GM in there eventually that's gonna function as as the typical GM. They may give a dual role to him. I don't know, or they give in more of the middleman type of role um, because. If I were the Penguins, I would want Kyle Dubas to do all of Call that. I don't, shots, want him to, I don't want him to hire anyone else to do that stuff. I want him to be the controller. And that's why I think that the guy that I'm seeing, I know that Shiro's been in. He was already in Pittsburgh, though. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of weird that he's going to go back there. Well, different ownership. But <laughs> but I could, see, I could see a guy like a Jason Botterill. And then... Yeah, I'm giving you this job, and you haven't been a GM, and you haven't been working for a while, Jason. So guess what? Kyle's going to be telling you what to do. I can yeah. see it, it's it's totally. it's kind of it's kind of ironic that Kyle Dubis wanted the autonomy and the power and the control to do everything as general manager of the Leafs, and then he got pushback from the president and from the ownership, and that caused him to leave. But now, as president, he might be enforcing his will on a general manager. Yep. That instead of you making the calls, I'm going to make the calls. Yeah. You're just, you're just there. And then anything that you do, you pass it along to me and I'll tell you if it's good or not. Yeah. I think that's likely. That's, I think it's very likely that that was perhaps the holdup. Uh, I'm not a holdup, but there was like a week there of like a delay. And I think. It probably goes to what you're talking about, Manny, which is the the Phillies model with Dave Dombrowski and Sam Fold. They have Sam Fold as a general manager, but Dombrowski is the president and Dombrowski basically controls everything and Fold just does the bidding for him. 
Um, probably the same thing in Pittsburgh where Dubas didn't want to get in a situation where he's going to have a president boss like Shanahan that may usurp his power or influence him in a way that he doesn't want. So he said, I want to be the top boss and I'll figure out if I want to give GM a different GM certain powers. Mm-hmm. And of course, the flyer situation is not that, but I don't really know what the flyer situation is with <laughs> Jones. <laughs> I think my my sense with Keith Jones is that they said at the initial press conference that it's really going to be Danny controlling the whole show and all that sort of stuff. But and, you know, Keith's there for advice if he needs it. I'm not so sure that's going to be the setup, at least initially here. For example, during the Provorov trade that we just saw, um, Danny Breer was asked at the press conference to what extent Keith Jones was involved in. And he said highly. He said he talked four or five times a day um, leading up to the trade. Uh, so I think that there was definitely a level of not just – you know, I'm just going to run it by him, but he was actively involved in the decision making and figuring out which path to take and how to get there, uh, which is a good thing. I think I think that they need him on that. And um, it obviously resulted well in that trade and hopefully it keeps going. But that's where I think that is. I'm not sure if that's going to last, but I think initially it would be good to have Jones in the room and make sure that, you know, these things are operating properly, given the fact that this is the same front office sans uh, Fletcher that is still in place. There was one question um, that Manning put in the group chat uh, a couple weeks ago now, and has been an interesting one. And now that we just traded Provorov for you know assets, we can talk about this one. Uh, question for the next frequent flyer: Is it more ideal to trade Konechny now? Or bet that he repeats his season again this coming year uh, for a bigger haul at next year's trade deadline. And that one, I've, I've been thinking about that one for friggin' weeks now, because it is an interesting question of what the hell do you do with Travis Lysen? I am a big proponent of fucking getting rid of this goddamn guy. If for no other reason than it pisses yeah. off most of this fan base. But, uh, man... Do you gamble on Konechny staying at this level until either the trade deadline or next summer when he's got less term on his deal? That one... It's hard. Because I think Konechny can be a good player. I don't think he's great. I don't think he's fucking overly worthwhile by any means. I think last season was about as good as you're going to get out of this guy. 30 goals, 60 points. You know, have heard around a point per game pays and whatever, but only played 60. It doesn't fucking matter. I don't think this guy's putting up 80 points over a full season. I don't. Th- I think 30, 60 is is where you're going to get close to on this one. But I don't know if he repeats, especially this roster is substantially worse than it was this season. I feel like moving him now and not taking that. Like if he, if you run back with him and he puts up. 15 goals and 40 points by season's end. Boy, they are going to look terrible for not selling him at his value. I, I, I don't know if I believe in this guy enough to have another career best year to keep that value high or better than it is right now. I feel like don't fucking, uh, exactly. you know, gamble on this one. Well, you got a good season out of the guy. He's your top trade ship now that Provo was gone. Fucking let's just move on from him and move on with our lives and, and get what you can and, and go on. I don't know if I would take the gamble of him having a repeat no. season for better value this time next year. 
And yeah, the question is, even if he does have a great start to next season or a full season, I mean, how much more value are you really going to get at that point? You know, I mean, unless he's, you know, on like on a hundred point pace or something like that, or finishes a hundred points, which is not going to yeah, happen. Is the value but, substantially higher, even uh, if he does post a good season than it is right now? I don't think it is. I think, I don't think it is. And I think that they need to, they need to strike while hot. Yes. You really, they got a gift to, here with this guy pulling his head out of his ass this season. There are these little windows that pop up and and opportunities that pop up. And this happens in sports all the time. And, you know, we've seen for 10 years the Flyers ignore these opportunities. They let them go and it ends up burning them later on. They never hit the iron while it's hot. And this is an example of one. This is a great example of one. Um, you have a guy like Travis Konechny, who's on a pretty damn good contract, only two more years of what, five and a half. Yes. Um, no trade restrictions on that contract, which is great. It's refreshing to see that. And he's coming off of an outstanding offensive year. He's a guy that plays a tenacious brand of hockey that the coach is on board with getting the John Tortorella endorsement as well. So you, you know, you put all that stuff in the hopper and, I think it equates to a pretty damn high value. And, you know, I I don't think rolling the dice and waiting any longer is useful for this team. I mean, only in the event that he's, you know, like increases production at 100 point level. But he but I think right now is a great time to act on it. I think just like our discussion with Carter Hart earlier, if the price is right now, you have to take advantage of this year's draft. If somebody out there is willing to offer you a first round pick and something, obviously the first round pick would be the centerpiece of that deal. Yeah. I think you got to take it seriously because next year, the first round pick, eh, we got two of them already. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. I'd rather get the pick this year. I'd rather load up with three picks this year and not even give a shit about next year's two draft picks. I don't care. But it's going to be interesting. Like, if you are going to fully rebuild, trading Travis Konechny makes sense. There are others out there, and I've heard this on uh, Elliot Friedman say this. Teams also need to sell tickets. And they need to do things for well, the their Flyers fans. aren't fucking doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. Attendance That's was in the true. goddamn trash. Could I be not selling a for, single ticket? These fucking fan base claims to love him, but they ain't paying to watch <laughs> this guy. Yeah. And and how much more attractive does TK become? I mean, the Flyers are in a position where they can just retain salary willy-nilly right now. So why not retain 50% of TK's salary for the next two years, too? Yeah, if you really maybe, wanted to, to do something like maybe that, that and maximize your return. I don't know how big of a fan I am of that, but if you really wanted to, and it makes a difference in a return, oh, connect yeah. me at 2.7 versus whatever he is right now. That's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, that's a phenomenal deal. You're going to get a guy that, I don't know, it might be 80-point potential for 2-point whatever for two years, no trade restrictions. That is incredible right there. That's a, that's a ton of value if you go down that route. And he makes faces? I mean, what more could you want? He makes faces. <laughs> Andy's got two years left next year with only one year left. Then it becomes a rental. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And then the price goes down. 
Mm-hmm. So even yeah. if he repeats his production, there still should be a little bit less that you're getting because you burned a year off of that deal. And it's a, and it's a good cap hit. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why people want to keep them. Ah, it's only 5.5. It's a good cap hit. It's a yes, great trade for, asset. For, for what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the Flyers. For who? For what? Yeah. There's no point. You have so, and, you know, now that Provorov is gone and they got a good value for him, like, I think Konechny of the three of the big three of Provorov, hey, uh, Provorov Hart and Konechny, the big three, the easiest one to move theoretically is Konechny because you have so many fucking right wings on this team. You know, his roster spot, especially with fucking Cam Hansen coming back. Moving Konechny for a first-round pick and then replacing him on the roster with Forrester, that's a rebuild move. That's substantially better than running it back with Konechny. Agreed. Forrester plays in the AHL for all another season. And you just hope fucking... It just doesn't make any sense. In exactly, the terms yeah. of a rebuild, you know, dealing Konechny for a couple picks or a player, whatever the fucking thing is, and then giving that roster spot to Forrester so he doesn't start in the AHL or he doesn't start on the fucking fourth line or anything stupid like that. Get, making sure that guy is there. Go Forrester. Go Tippett. Go... Missing someone. Brink. Br- I th- I would love Brink in the main roster. Right? My guess is he's starting in the AHL, but uh, Atkinson and Allison, yeah, yeah, whatever the fucking thing is, like it doesn't matter. At some point, you just uh, you got to move Konechny. Like if you're rebuilding, there are not any better chips on this team for the purposes of re- rebuild than Travis Konechny right now, right? So uh, you got to make that call. You got to do it, please, please, mm-hmm. Danny Breer. Tra- I would be the happiest fucking asshole if Travis Konechny gets dealt. Oh, I'd have a goddamn field day. Yeah, I mean, I think it's phenomenal. I think the salary retention is just, I mean, if you're another team out there and you have aspirations to win, I I think that is a fantastic deal for the team acquiring him. For getting him for that cap number, I mean, you should be able uh, to bring back some significant pieces. So going on to that, the the Travis Konechny thing, If you can get another first round pick, you know what? Forget even this first round pick right now where it stands. We're picking at seven and 22. I'm going to ask it again. Third, third consecutive recording. At seven, if Mitch coughs there. Now, are you confident enough to say, you know what? We got another first round pick later on. We're still going to get somebody. Let's let's roll the dice, baby. Let's do it. With just seven and twenty-two, it's more comfortable. That's for sure. I think if that pick, if they could do something and move that twenty-two up to like fifteen or sixteen in that range, yes, I would do it. Mm-hmm. I'd take Mitchkov at seven and have you know whoever at sixteen. I think I'd be more comfortable with that. Or you know have a a seven a twenty-two and maybe nineteen or something from Konechny, you know, in a deal like that. Mm-hmm. I would. Yeah, do I agree, Dan. I, I think there's a little bit more. I, I, I'm still. I still don't love the idea of drafting Mitchkov, but if you have, if there's a smarter fallback option than just taking Mitchkov at seven and then not drafting him until the third round, like that sucks, right? <laughs> if that doesn't pan out, but if you have some fallback options here and you hoard an, at least another pick or two, even with just a trade, you know, the the, the option definitely becomes more palatable with extra picks coming in that first round. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I would still consider it at seven. I guess it would be highly dependent of who else is there at that point. But 
Yeah, it, it would help, especially if you can move that pickup mm-hmm. an extra few slots beyond that. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I would take him, I'm probably a little more cavalier about taking him, but it's also because I think when you talk about kind of like a fallback option, Dan, that's a good, that's, that's a good way to couch it. But I think the flyers are also relying on their, on their, on their two first rounders next year as well. I think, I think they are part of their plan. They don't plan on rebuilding without leveraging those picks and picking guys next year in the first round that are going to be part of this thing. So I get given that as another back step. Now, granted, it's a year later and, you know, they're probably not going to be maybe a size seven, but there's still first round picks that they're going to get, you know. So under that, under those conditions, I would be a little bit more cavalier to pick a guy like Mitchkoff. Now, I think he may be gone by seven um, if they're. There has to be some level of. I don't think he's getting past Arizona, one way or the other. Yeah. I think Arizona's taking him if he's there, if some other team doesn't do it first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, Manny. What do you think? Would you uh, are you pulling the trigger? I, I think Dan's onto something. If you could go up from twenty two and get into the teens, then I think. What if it's Konechny and twenty two? What can that get you? Man, Could I would that... be looking for like eleven or twelve at that point. Maybe does that get that. does that get you sixteen? Calgary Flames have that should pick. easily get you sixteen, and then some. Yeah, the thing is, which teams would actually be interested in that in that kind of deal? Pittsburgh's fourteen. Twenty twenty three NHL draft. I'm looking at the the list right now. Pittsburgh's I know a lot of the teams in the ten to fifteen range could make sense. Sabres may want Konechny. They're thirteen. Pittsburgh would <sighs> maybe do it. Calgary probably. Detroit maybe. Winnipeg maybe. So I mean, there are a lot of those teams in the you know mid to late teens there that yeah could reasonably yeah be, Winnipeg uh, might mm-hmm. trade uh, trade partners for Konechny. The Sabres would be interesting at 13, but they've got a bunch of right wingers. They've got Jack Quinn, who's a, you know, was a rookie. They got JJ Paterka. They've got other young players. What if one of those guys came back with the 13? Fuck, if they could snag goddamn Cole Perfetti from Winnipeg in a big trade, I'd tell you, I'd do that in a fucking RP. I wrote a piece about that today, actually. So Winnipeg's 18. 18 in Konechny for. Or 18. In Perfetti for 22 in Konechny. And if you have to throw something else in there, more fucking power to you, I would do it. But a base like that, yeah, I'd do it. And then draft Michkov. Oh, baby. I, to, you know, Talk you know dirty to, to me. To go, to go up four spots? Sure. I don't know if the trading Konechny is worth it for four spots. You go six spots, seven spots, sure. Eh. Regardless, I think that now is the peak value to trade. Yes, going back yeah, to the original I, question. I don't think next year. I don't think next year it makes sense. It's a year less on the on the deal. And if he you're, sucks next season, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you're trading him for. Yeah. It's cost effective. It's good for the cap and the players. The, the, the acquiring team is going to get him for two more years. That's that's why you're going to get more for him now. Yeah, rather than next year. Hey, now the program's off the table. I mean, they're apparently more serious about a rebuild. Hey, I mean, there's absolutely no reason why Connecting should be here next year. Just no. from that pure perspective. I mean, yeah. this guy needs to be sold. 
And the fact that Provorov was dealt so early, like we mentioned this the other day too, is it's just he was dealt so early, which is so helpful because it gets that out of the way. Yeah. And now they can focus on the Everything next else. step here. <laughs> yeah. So and historically, the Flyers, they were always late to the game. They tried to do everything at the 11th hour. Deadline Every, day. or uh, Everything was on the deadline. Day. Yeah. Yep. It passed them by. They weren't able to make the moves. But if you get, you know, if you want to do a lot of things in one offseason, the best way to get that done is to start early. You know, make yep. the big move, make at least one of your big moves way early, earlier than anybody else, which they've done. And then move on to the next step, which hopefully is a Travis Konechny style trade before the draft and maybe even another trade before the draft. We have a couple of weeks here, so hopefully in the next, I don't know, week or two, we get some more news on this. But um, that's what they have to do. And so far, so good. You know, they're on the right track. It's one thing. They got it out of their four or five, but one box is checked. <laughs> you hit another. You hit a Konechny in a very similar trade to Provorov, more or less. Maybe a first round pick, maybe a third round, you know, first and third or something like that. You get a third round pick back for D'Angelo just to fucking get rid of the guy. You can consider moving Lawton, though. I still don't think he's actually getting moved. If they flip Hart for some crazy fucking return, like this rebuild, it could be awesome. Yeah, could be really, really interesting. And you know, we we always talked about this with Ron Hextall where you had Prime Giroux and Voracek and Couturier and Shen, and you never fucking dealt any of them, and Couturier and whoever the fuck else is on that team. And you look at the drafts of that era and go, God damn it. Like, if they capitalized on two or three of those drafts, you could have overhauled this rebuild and it could have been something. Like, it feels like you're very much in that same boat now, where it's like, you got Provorov, you got Konechny, you got Hart, you got these guys that you can sell and garner some assets for, and have done properly and get the major haul for you know what, this rebuild may not be a rebuild after all. You may be fucking good in a few years' time, you know, oh, if, yeah. if they play this right and if they're lucky. So, yeah, I, I, I think if they're doing this rebuild, you better do it right. And getting rid of Provorov for uh, good values is a start. And now you got to, you know, consider your options with Konechny and Provorov and Lawton and whoever the fuck else on this team has any value at all. If they get three first-rounders this year and, like, three first-rounders next year, like... Okay, you know, like you might be cooking with something. Yeah. Like that. That's a lot of high-end players that are all in the same timeline. 